All right, open up to Luke 10, please. Now, we've been going through this here and there. We've taken breaks from week to week, but uh, we're going to start at the beginning. Luke 10. Could you throw up that mountain, CJ? So we talked about how Luke 10 was like a mountain. And when you look at the chapter on the page, think of it like a mountain. The top, the top of the mountain is the beginning of the chapter, and as you read, you go down. And so the Mary and Martha story is at the very end of the chapter. And when you're climbing a mountain, the base of the mountain is the most important part. Thank you, Paul. Right? Without a base, without a foundation, there's not much of a mountain. That's where you've got to start. And could you throw up the next one? And so we talked about how if you look at Luke 10 like a mountain, on the bottom you've got the one thing necessary, which is your relationship with Jesus Christ. The most important thing in your life, your top priority. That is the one thing necessary. So that's like our base camp if we're mountain climbers. That's where we live. We live in our relationship with God. We live focusing on who he is, growing closer to him, growing more like him, and spending time in the presence of God, which is the lake with Tony in the middle. Um, in the presence of God. That's Mount Fuji to honor Karen, by the way. Um, and myself, who lived in Japan for three years. I like to honor myself. <laughs> um, and so then the other, the other parts of uh, the Luke 10 mountain are excursions that we take from the place where we live. We live in our relationship with God. That's what we focus on. That's our top priority. But then we make sure that we are being good Samaritans. We're reaching out. We're helping those who are in need. Um, we spend time celebrating God, living in his favor. And then finally towards the top of the mountain, we experience what it is to be sent once, which is what the beginning of Luke is about. Now, Luke 10, 1 through 12 or so, is, I think, the best explanation and example of revival that I know of in the Bible, as far as this is what revival can look like. And so that's one of the reasons I wanted to look at this. The Lord gave us this, this chapter as sort of a vision for this community, by the way. So that's why we've been spending a lot of time on it. So if you look at Luke chapter 10... This first section, I'll read 1 through 12, or I'll probably read 1 through 9. And this first section is about sent ones, people Jesus sends out. And I'll give you a hint, that's you. Let the cat out of the bag. All right, I'm going to read the first nine verses. You can follow along. I would really love you to have a Bible and follow along in your own Bible rather than toss it up on the screen because sometimes I think, maybe I'm super old, but, like, I think it's nice to have something in your hand that you interact with somehow. And it's great if it's your Bible, you know, that you can take notes in, hit a button, highlight something, whatever it is, or scribble in if you have an old school one made out of paper like they used to do once upon a time. Um, so please follow along with me. Luke 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Okay, 
So we're just going to go through this basically verse by verse. Um, but I want to tell you the punchline now because I want you to be thinking about this in the back of your head as we go through this passage. Um, this is, of course, specifically talking about being sent out like missionaries to a place that's unfamiliar to you to spread the gospel, right? That's what Jesus is doing with these folks. And that is something he will do with all of us at some point in our lives. Maybe he already has. I see some people here who I know are missionaries. Okay, so that's great. Um, But what I want to focus on is this. Let's focus on the places he's already sent us. At some point, you get to graduate and be sent somewhere else. But right now, there are places where all of you have already been sent by God. The most obvious one is your family. You're not in your family by accident. God sent you to your family. Still awake? God sent you to your family. He sent you to your work, your school. He sent you to your friends, church, here in this room right now. There are places and people, communities in your life where God has already sent you. So as we look at this and study it, I don't want you to think so much about, oh, yeah, someday if I'm going to a house to speak to a stranger about Jesus. Don't think about it like that. Think about my family. Who do I need to reach out to right now in my family for the love of God? In my school, in my work, in the places God has already sent me. Because you are already sent. You've already been commissioned. And the Spirit of God is in you, and the Bible says you are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. The Bible says you are ministers. The saints, that's everybody has Jesus in here, is a minister. Paul and I aren't ministers. We're leaders within the church, and our job is to equip the saints to do the job of the ministry. Right? But you're all ministers. You're all sent ones by God. Okay, so keep that in the back of your head as we read through this. And we're going to do this interactive, so I'm just going to ask you what you think. After the Lord appointed 72 others, pause. What do you see? Go ahead and talk. 72 or 70. A lot of manuscripts say 70. It, It doesn't matter. So there's a bunch of folks. What does it say? The Lord appointed him. That's probably pretty significant, right? So Jesus is gathering up folks, and he is appointing them. He is sending them out. They're not deciding on their own to go out, right? They're being sent by Jesus to go out. Who were they? Disciples, followers of Jesus. What does it call them there? 70 or 72 others. Others. Don't think Game of Thrones. Um, that's that's kind of generic. 72 others. Other than what? Well, in Luke 9, at the beginning of Luke 9, Jesus sent out the 12. Okay, the 12 apostles. He sent them out in almost the exact same way as this. There are a few differences you can look at. But he sent them out. And now, here we are a chapter later, seeing an expansion of this outreach, an expansion of the revival of the ministry. He sent out the 12. Now he's sending out others. 70, 72 others. So who are these folks? Not the 12, for sure. They're other than that. They're just disciples. They're followers of Jesus. They're folks. They're the rest of the peeps who are with Jesus following him. Okay? Now, I don't think Jesus picked willy-nilly. He chose them and appointed them. So these are people who believe. They're people who have faith. And he's saying, you go out. But these are not the leaders. They're not the apostles. Okay? Um, Church history actually tells us that Barnabas was one of these 70 um, who later became an apostle. But at this time, he was not. He was just a dude. 
So Jesus is sending out the church, the rest. He sent out the the 12, and now a chapter later, he's sending out the rest. I.e. you. You. Everybody. Everybody else. Now you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Do you think they knew what they were doing? No. (laughs) They did not. Did they have the skill set to accomplish this goal? No. They did not. That was not the point. Jesus appointed them and sent them out. The rest of the church, that's you. Um, And it's interesting. So the expansion here of of the ministry of Jesus is seen in the fact that it's not just the 12 leaders. It's 70 others, everybody else, but also the people that are sent to. Because if you look at it, the, the 12 apostles were sent to Jewish areas exclusively, only to Jews. These folks are sent to the people on the other side of the river, which included half Gentile areas. Okay? And that's because the, the 12 had a very specific prophetic role to fulfill. They were uh, the new 12 tribes of Israel. Okay? They were the new 12 sons of Israel. They, they, they were supposed to reach out primarily to Jews. God raised up primarily other people to reach out to the Gentiles. So the ministry here of Jesus is expanding. So let's keep going. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead of him two by two. What do you see there? Two by two working in teams. Why? Yeah. It's true. I wouldn't want to be sent out by myself. Why? Why, why are there some reasons two is better than one? Safety. Big issue. He, he hints here that I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Right? There's a safety issue here. Two is better. Okay, what else? Yes. Exactly. It's not good for man to be alone. Which is, in the, in the scripture, specifically in the context of marriage, but it's true in a general sense as well. That's why Paul says, don't forsake gathering together. Come together as a community. We need each other. Okay? We need each other. We are, it's not very American sounding, but we're not supposed to be independent Christians. That was never the will of God. It was never the plan of God. And if we try to live as independent Christians, we will not be successful in the way that God intends us for us. Because we are meant to succeed in a body, in a community, with each other. And at least two. <laughs> there needs to be at least two. Okay? I'm not saying you can't love God in a place where you're all by yourself, but I'm saying it's better to have two. Jesus sends them out two by two. Also, two heads is better than one, I think. Let's say they come into a situation. What do you think? Uh, well, I kind of think this. Really, I'm getting nothing. So what do you think? Sheep are better than wolves. That's true as well. You, you want... Yeah. That's very interesting. I kind of like that. I kind of like that, actually. Yes. Jesus was very into animal metaphors. Okay, so he sends them out ahead of him, two by two, to every town and place where he himself was about to go. What do you see there? Preparing the way of the Lord. That was literally their job, right? Go preach the kingdom, prepare the way of the Lord. He's sending them to everywhere he himself is about to go. So why is that significant? Jesus goes where we go. Jesus sends us and he follows. You will see this from cover to cover in this book. 
it is very seldom that God goes and says, come. It's usually God saying, go, and I will go with you. You see it time and time again, right? We could rattle them off. A lot of them are in Hebrews chapter 11, the fifth chapter. Um, Yeah, back there. Good. So he's always, he's always with us, and he promises us that he is not sending us out. I'm not leaving you orphans, he says in the same passage there. And he is sending us out, not by ourselves, with someone else, and everywhere that he himself was about to go. Now think about that in your context, the places you've already been sent. Everywhere God has sent you, your family, your friends, your work, school, whatever it is. Everywhere God has already sent you is where he himself is planning to show up. When you obey God and open yourself up to being the sent one, say, yes, I am here, I am sent, I will do what you say, the spirit of God will follow after you. That is a promise. They went everywhere where he himself was about to go. So they were preparing the the way, but it's more than just that. It's a promise. Everywhere you go, I will follow. I will come. And so as Jesus sends us out today in all of our circumstances, the spirit of God will follow. That's what revival is. Revival isn't waiting for something to start happening and then we run and see it. It's us being sent and God shows up in the midst of that circumstance because we obeyed. I thought so. I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. Anybody else? Thoughts? Good. That is good. And that's, that's one of the things that we as a community can do as we are all already sent to all of these different places, different communities. We need each other to help us. This is a place where we can come together and say, I need help in my situations. I don't know how to break through. I don't know how to reach out to this person. I don't know what I'm doing. I need prayer. I need help. And that's what we can be for, for each other. A place where we can come together, encourage one another in what it is God's already doing in our lives and what it is that he wants to do. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to be, I think. And so you obey and go. You obey in the place you're sent, and the Spirit will follow, and he will do the work. Because you can't do the supernatural stuff, right? Only God can do that, but he will. He's promising. He will follow. All right, let's keep going. Verse 2. We got through one verse. Okay. Verse (laughs) 2. And he said to them, this is a Bible verse. Okay, you've heard this one. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Let's just look at the first half. The harvest is plentiful. What's that mean? What's the harvest? There's a lot of people out there who need Jesus. Perfect. There's a lot of people out there who need Jesus. Again, agricultural metaphor, animal metaphor, this is all very, very common for Jesus because that's what they understood. Okay? And so the harvest is plentiful. There's a lot of people out there who need to be harvested, brought in. Brought into what? The kingdom because that's what they're preaching in the kingdom. There's a lot of people who need to be brought in. Anybody see anything else? The workers are few. There aren't enough 
people willing to be sent by Jesus or willing to, in the place where they are already sent, obey him, there aren't enough of those. There aren't enough for how many people need God. There aren't enough laborers for how many people need Jesus. There aren't enough people ready to spread revival for, compared to the number of people who need to come in. I believe we're going to see a billion, that's with a B, a billion people saved in the coming decades. A billion with a big B. Okay? Now, I might be nuts. I don't think I'm nuts. I think this is true. I think we're going to, I'm, I'm talking worldwide, we're going to see a billion people saved. I think there are going to be places right now, like Indonesia, where there will be hardly any Muslims left. It'll be all Christian. That's what I believe. I'm talking radical, holy crap, look what God has done stuff. Okay? That's what's coming. And there aren't enough workers. There aren't enough laborers to bring all the people in. So what do we do? What's he say? Pray earnestly. Earnestly. That earnestly is a great word. I looked it up uh, in the Greek. The root word means having deep personal need. Deep personal need. Pray earnestly for the Lord to send out workers. This is personal. It becomes personal when you grow closer to the heart of God because it is very personal to God. These are his wayward kids. He never stops thinking about them and trying to reach them. And as we approach the heart of God and open ourselves up to what he's doing, we feel the heart of God in our own hearts and we begin to need to see these people saved. We begin to need to see these walls broken down in people's lives, to see our family quit arguing and bickering all the time and love each other better, to see the people in our schools stop being nothing but stressed out and negative and instead have joy and hope. We need this to happen. And some of you are here already where you are praying earnestly because you feel that need. You need it. I need these people to be saved. I need you to break through, God. I need it. I need it. I need it. Some of you aren't there yet. You don't have the need. You don't feel it. And I'm, I'm, I'm not disparaging you. Okay? I'm not saying you're naughty if you don't have a deep personal need because you can't make it up. I'm not talking about manufacturing something or being fake. But like Paul has talked about many times, he had someone pray for him for a spirit of prayer that this would happen to him, that he would begin to care enough to pray earnestly for God to move and to pray earnestly for people. And it happened. And it happened to me. And it's happened to others here in this room and many others throughout the Twin Cities. There's a lot of people that we're meeting together with to pray because God has touched them in their hearts. He's revived them enough. He's put that fire back in them enough that they really do have a personal need, a deep personal need to see God move and to see people saved in their own situations and in the city and in the nation and in the world and in the countries that they care deeply about. And so this is pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Next verse, go. So verse two, pray. Next verse, go. If you were to break Christianity up into two people, Christian, the, the, the type of Christianity who cares about reaching out. That's not a disparaging comment either. That's just a comment. Um, if you break them up the two people, they tend to separate into people who focus on praying for God to do stuff and people who focus on going and doing the stuff. And oftentimes those who pray tend not to go anywhere and do much. They are praying and waiting for God to do it. 
And oftentimes those who go are busy going and working, and they maybe end up being a little more Martha than Mary, and maybe they end up putting service to God above their relationship with God. Maybe they don't have that much prayer. Maybe they don't have that much prayer cover. I've known, some of the best evangelists I've known have been lone wolves. They don't go out with a second person. They don't have that covering and that authority because they're like, the church doesn't get it. Nobody's reaching out. Nobody's doing this stuff. Screw them. I'm going to do it by myself. So there's a little bad attitude there. Okay. And I've talked to some people about that. I love your heart. I love your anointing. You need to get rid of the bitterness if you're ever going to be successful. (laughs) Because that is handicapping you right now to what the spirit of God wants to accomplish through you. And I know you want to be used and you want it to be successful. So let's get rid of that. Um, This is what Jesus says. Pray. Next sentence, go. Pray, go. Pray, go. They happen at the same time. We pray for revival and we go and do the stuff at the same time. When we're going, we don't stop praying. When we're praying, we don't sit there and wait for God to light the place on fire. We pray and we go at the same time. They happen simultaneously and continually. Cool? So we pray and we go. We do this at the same time. A great move of God requires this kind of prayer. It requires this kind of earnest prayer. We believe that. That's why we meet on Wednesday nights. That's why we meet on Thursday before this meeting. That's why we're calling a fast for two weeks from now because we're getting serious about this stuff. We want to get earnest. We want to prove it to ourselves and God and the devil that we're not going to stop until we see this stuff happen. Amen? Amen. So go your way. Pray and then go. Just go. Don't ask questions. Don't go to training. Don't wait for whatever it is. Go your way. And then there's this curious line. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs amidst wolves. What's that about, you think? Yeah. I think that's true. I think that's true. I'm sending you out as lambs amidst wolves. That's not a happy thought. That's not. No, this isn't a picnic. This isn't cuddly Jesus time. Okay? He will cuddle you the whole way through because he's not going to leave you. But I'm sending you out as lambs amidst wolves. Well, what are you saying, Jesus? Are you saying it's sometimes going to be hard? Are you saying people might occasionally be mean? Or I might have to struggle? I might have to do spiritual warfare and get rid of a wall or a giant or something like that? Yeah, that's what he's saying. So what does a lamb do in the midst of wolves? Looks to its shepherd. That is the only thing it can do. The only thing a lamb can do in the midst of wolves is bleat out for the shepherd. Save me. You're welcome for that. Um, The only thing a lamb can do in the midst of wolves is cry out for the shepherd and rely on the shepherd to get them through safe. And Jesus is saying, hey, I realize what I'm doing. I'm sending you out as lambs amidst wolves, but I'm going to keep you safe. I'm going to protect you. You're going to rely on me for everything, and I'm going to make sure you're okay. And that's continued in the next verse. It's the same thought. Carry no muddy bag, no knapsack, no sandals. So how are you supposed to get anywhere and do anything without shoes in a place where you had to walk everywhere? Without a knapsack, so you're not carrying clothes or food. Without any money. What are you supposed to do? Especially when you're amidst wolves. 
be sustained by God. Yeah. This is kind of radical. Okay? This isn't like... Sometimes I talk too negatively about America. I apologize. Um, So I'm not going to say what I was going to say. But um, this is not namby-pamby Christianity, okay? This is serious stuff. This is like radical trust in God. Radical trust. And how many times do we feel like that? I feel like this all the time. I felt like that this week. There's someone in my life who is so dear to my heart who is trying to ruin his life as best he can. And I was grieved, and I couldn't do anything. There was nothing I could do. Nothing I could say. I had nothing in the situation. But I went and I talked to him, and God did stuff. God gave me stuff to say. God touched his heart, and he's starting to turn back towards moving in the right direction. Amen? Now, he needs deliverance, like big time. He needs a lot of prayer. We are praying and fasting and all that kind of stuff about this. Um, But a, a, a step has been taken, one that you wouldn't have believed would have happened in this first meeting except I believed it because I was positive God was going to do something. So I would say it, was, it went way better than I thought it would, but it didn't. It went almost exactly as I thought it would. I will admit I did sort of hope he would fall on his face and start repenting and proclaiming Jesus, but that's going to come. And we got a lot closer to that than he was that morning. So praise Jesus. I had nothing, no money, no knapsack, no sandals. Okay? Jesus did it all in the moment, and it was crazy. I felt like a horse that had reins, and he would pull me back when I started talking about something I shouldn't talk about, and he would push me forward when I talked about it, and he would turn me this way, turn me that way. It was really kind of cool if it wasn't so nauseating and horrible of an experience for me just emotionally and everything. Um, but it was cool. God was awesome. And I'm not telling this story to be like, look, I'm a hero. I'm just saying this is a testimony. God just did this. <laughs> he, like, literally just did this for me yesterday. And he will do that for you, and he's promising you right here. You are sent, and I am coming after you, and I'm going to take care of you all the way. You're going to be safe. You're not going to want for anything. You're not going to lack. And we could, I'm just going to read you the verse so you don't have to turn there. Luke 22, 35, 12 chapters later, okay, he talks to these same 70 people, and he says, uh, he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, nothing. That's Luke 22, 35. So this worked. God made good on his promise, as he tends to do. Amen? Because he can't not. He is faithful. It is who he is. He has to be faithful. He has to. Jesus promised he has sent you places, and he will provide everything you need. You don't have the skills to do it. It doesn't matter. You don't have the experience. I don't know what I'm doing. Great. In your weakness, he is strong. I would like God to be strong in some of my situations. And so maybe weakness isn't always the worst thing. Maybe, in fact, weakness can be a good thing. That's why we fast. See what I did there? Okay. Anybody else have any thoughts on that? Yes? Good job. And 
said things in a way that I said, don't, do you feel that from everybody? She said, no. I said, God blesses you. And she smiled. She was very appreciative. I, I left thinking, well, I could have said a lot more. But I gave a, I, I gave a blessing that she received tangibly. Amen. It's good to be sent and good to know you're sent. Because then you're more likely to say something that a sent person would say. You did verse 5. You did verse 5. You said, peace. Be to this house. Peace be unto you. And she received it. So it's ex- that, that is an exact outline of this passage. Well done, Paul. And then actually, uh, I have a quick thought. Uh-huh. And one thing, at least for me, I've realized, and you know, maybe for other people, but at least especially for myself, is that a lot of times, like just like what you were saying earlier, um, that, that God did tell us to go, but obviously each, you know, each, each, each and every one of us, we all need to get to that place to, to where we can go. Every one of us has a backstory, you know, uh, everyone, you know, has a different story, but we need to get to that place to where we can go, because and what I mean by that is that we need to be humble, because the, the, the God, God can only use people whose hearts are open, and, and they're in that place of brokenness, and their hearts are open. I think that's exactly right, and because we are all sent already, okay, let's think about it academically for just one second, we're already all sent, and so we're already this. And so why aren't we seeing the stuff happen that this says? Because we don't have our hearts open about the fact that we are sent there to those people. There are people I know who are trying to reach out to people. They're doing a lot of ministry and stuff like that out here. And they have terrible relationships with their family. Never talk to their brother. Hate their dad. Or whatever. Terrible relationship with their family. I got to tell you. If you don't have that kind of stuff together, you have no business going anywhere else. You have no business trying to reach out to somebody out there until you've reached out to your family. You have no business to try to be out there doing ministry until you are doing ministry to your friends, until you are praying for them, getting words for them, encouraging them, blessing them all the time. Until we do that, we have no business doing that. I know that may be hurtful to some people, but it's true. Um, thanks, Tony. I think that's... It's... it's yeah. Exactly. When you know that you've been sent somewhere, you focus on that. You don't stop to do anything else. You don't stop to talk to anybody in the road or anything because you have a goal. Jesus, at this point in his ministry, actually right before this, um, the Samaritans didn't reach him or didn't accept him. It's uh, Luke nine fifty one and following. The Samaritan villages didn't accept him because his face was resolutely set towards Jerusalem. He was on his way somewhere, and they could see it. He wasn't going to give them what they wanted because he, he, he had been called somewhere and he had to get there and he had to do the stuff. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. That, that. Don't, don't loiter or make small talk. So don't loiter, don't hang around doing nothing and don't make small talk. 
And there are other cultural reasons why that was true. You were, you were actually required, as a Jewish person, you were required to greet people on the road. You're required to say, anybody know? Peace be with you. Jesus says, don't. Don't do that. Wait to do that till you get there. It's very interesting. So they're breaking a lot of cultural rules here. First of all, they're going to some Gentiles. Second of all, they're breaking laws, like cultural laws. So this is, Jesus is asking them to do a lot of stuff. He's asking them radical trust, radical trust. But if you want to see radical breakthrough, if you want to see radical miracles, if you want to see God be radical in your life, it takes some radical faith. It takes some radical trust. It takes you saying, I will give you everything and I will do whatever you say. And you mean that and eventually God says, I'll take that. And he calls you on it. And he will use you in your situations. And he will give you everything you need. You don't have to worry about that. Money, place to live, anything else. Job, whatever it is. So don't say it's too expensive to go on that mission trip that I feel like God's telling me to go to. It's not too expensive. God owns the earth. You're good. If God's calling me to go on the mission trip, he'll provide for you. Amen? And uh, I've experienced that. I, I, in college, the first mission trip I went on, I didn't have enough money to raise. I sent out letters, did all this fundraising. Still didn't get enough money. Last minute, the rest of it poured in. God just provided it like that. And I know a lot of you who've done mission trips have that kind of experience because God loves to do that. He loves for you to be in a place of need so that he can show you he's the great provider. One of the problems with America is we don't need anything. So we're not desperate from God. We're not desperate. We don't have a deep personal need to see the harvest come in because everything's actually pretty good. Worst thing is we'd rather make more than ten fifty an hour, which is a fortune compared to most people. Okay, I, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm sorry. But sometimes we need to be woken up a little bit, maybe. Okay, is that all right? Is it all right if in love I kind of once in a while? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just, I love you guys, okay? Get off your butts and do it. No, good. Uh, keep going. Verse <laughs> five. Uh, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. What's that mean? What do you think? This is a tougher one, these couple verses. I'm going to, um, we could go on a long, a long talk about, you could do, probably do a whole sermon on this, but um, here's what I think it primarily means. When you're trying to reach out to someone with the love of God, you start by blessing them. How many people do you know who've done evangelism by saying, you're a sinner, and you need Jesus. And that's the first thing that comes out of their mouth. Or do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? And that's the first thing that comes out of your mouth. Never in the Bible is that done, ever. That is not the way you do it, period. The way you do it is peace be to this house. You bless them. You then go in and you eat with them. You fellowship with them. You be their friends. And then you heal the sick. That's how you get it done. That's how you do it. You love people into the kingdom of God. You don't shame them in. You don't scare them in, right? As much as we might want to because we're angry. And I'm not saying those people, people who Christians who do that are evil. I understand the mentality. I've been there before in my life, okay? This is confession time. I've been there to a degree where I just wanted to compel people into the kingdom. But that's not, that's not, that's not what it's about. Um, and it came out of an attitude to see people get saved. So that part is good. But, like, I didn't do it in the way that the Lord would have me do it. Because wherever he sends you, he follows. I was going somewhere else. He wasn't sending me. So guess what didn't happen? He didn't follow. It wasn't as fun as when he follows. 
Okay, so I think peace be to this house says you start by blessing them. You start by loving them. You give them your peace. And if the person of peace is there, the son of peace is there, they will receive it. And I think that's a good example of that is what you did. You said peace. You, you blessed her and she received it. She got a smile on her face and she received it. And that's an indication that God's already at work. He just showed up. So now you can start moving in and you can start being their friend. Okay, so let's say you're having trouble with a family member, as many of us do, and we don't know what's going on, and, and, and it tends to devolve into arguments, and it tends to make it so that you feel like you're 16 again, and, and it's, it's crazy, and instead of letting all that happen, go in and try to bless them as much as you can. Bring peace to the situation, and go in and say, how can I love them? Ask God, and he'll tell you. How do I do it? How do I love them? And then you do that. You pick them up. You do their laundry. Whatever it is. And you keep doing it. You keep loving them. And eventually, they will receive that. And they will open up. They will open up their home to you. Metaphorically, they'll open up themselves to you. That friend at work, who you really need to reach, will eventually open themselves up to you. And you can go in. And you can have fellowship. And you can get to know that person. And eventually, you can heal them. Sometimes. No, oftentimes. Sometimes this takes time. Sometimes it takes time. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Nope. You cannot. Absolutely. And this says... Yes, and that happens right here. If they don't receive, you go to the next house. And sometimes that's true. And I think there's also something to to the son of peace metaphor where sometimes there are key people in a situation. There might be a key person in your family, in your job, in your place of work, and you can pray and ask the Lord, is there a key person that I need to start with? Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. So what are you doing here, Lord? And sometimes there's a key person, a son of peace, who's there in that family or whatever, that if you help your mom get healed... It'll help everybody, for example. Okay? Are we with me on that one? So sometimes, sometimes there's a specific person in our situation, so we can pray, and the Lord will be with us. And if they don't receive us, you know, it's a, it's a wrong number. Call back later. It'll be okay. Um, uh, remain in the same house. Um, I think that if there's someone who is open to you, someone who receives you, you need to fellowship with them, and you need to stay there. You need to keep in that relationship. If someone is receiving the Lord through you in any small way, even if it's just they're willing to meet with you and be your friend or whatever it is, or to receive the love you're giving them, stay there. Don't give up. Keep praying for that person. Keep loving on that person. Stay in that house. Stay on that person. Because for some people, it takes a really long time. Um, there was somebody I prayed for for 10 years to become a Christian before he did. 10 years. Uh, my great uncle is 90, is he 97 yet? Uncle Bud, really old. He's been running away from God for 97 years. But God is hounding him down because God doesn't give up. God will remain. 
He is getting this guy, and he is starting to admit things like, you, when you get old, you, you think there has to be somebody. There has to be a God somehow. You know, and so God is finally getting to this guy, but it takes a long time for some people. And that's not your call. But when there's someone in your life, when there's a relationship where God has sent you, then he has sent you to do it until it's done. Okay? And not to give up. And don't let yourself be discouraged if they don't receive the way you want them to. Sometimes it takes a lot of love and a lot of time because everybody's journey is different. And because you can't control how they receive you or how they receive God, only they, they, they have free will. If God could just smack him like a robot and switch a channel, he already would have done it. <laughs> he doesn't do that. Don't go from house to house. So that's part of the the, the, the remain in the house thing. Um, and I also think it means when God has called you to somewhere, you stay there. If he's called you to a church, you stay at that church. You don't go look for a better church. Better church, whatever that even means. I want better worship. I want different people. I want it closer to my house. No, if God has sent you there, that's where you go, and that's where you stay, because you've been called and you've been sent. The, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock America again one more time. Um, there's a consumer mentality among a lot of Christians in America where church is a consumer commodity, and we just find the stuff we like best in Christianity, and we go get that. That is not in this book either. It's not in this book. Because God has sent you somewhere. He sent you places, and that's where you need to remain. Don't go from house to house. Church shopping is not godly. Waiting on the Lord to send you somewhere and obeying him by going there, that's godly. That's what he wants you to do. Everybody with me? I'm saying kind of mean things tonight. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be super mean, but it's in here. It's in the book. I'm sorry. Okay. Eat what is set before you. Think about this. They're in a half-Gentile area, and Jesus is saying, eat what's set before you. What are Gentiles not? Kosher. Dun, dun, dun. Eat whatever they set before you. This is, I cannot stress how huge this is for the people he is sending. He is sending Jews, and he's saying, eat a lizard if they give it to you. If you're a Baptist and your neighbor invites you over and receives you into his house and says, share a beer with me, you share that beer with him. I'm serious. Don't be legalistic. Don't be religious. Um, eat whatever is set before you. And that can, that, that can be tough. If, you, if you're with somebody in your family or whatever it is in your, in your work situation and they just swear all the time, you don't need to jump in and say, will you please quit swearing? You don't need to do that. You don't need to swear back either, <laughs> okay? But you don't need to sit there and correct them and be legalistic because that's what they expect you to do because that's what they think Christians are is a bunch of lists of no's. And that's not what we are. We're a bunch of lists of yeses to Jesus. Okay, I'm moving quickly here. Um, he would have said before you, heal the sick. One of the billions of times this is in the Gospels. God expects us to heal the sick, period. Pray for people who need to be healed. And then after that, preach the kingdom to them. You see that? Heal all who are sick, then preach to them the kingdom of God has come near. So you demonstrate God to them first, and then you preach the gospel. You, demonst- you, you love them. You accept them. You befriend them. You eat their stuff. You bless them and love them as much as you can. Then you demonstrate the truth and power of God to them. And then you've earned the right to tell them about Jesus. I'm not saying this order of events is absolute and it's the only way it can happen. God does different things in different ways. But this is a pretty good outline. And we mess up this order all the time. (laughs) 
Okay. And so heal the sick is part of it. I think sharing your testimony with them, demonstrating who God is, but not just about you, demonstrating who God is for them. Do something for them in their life that shows that God is real and that he loves them. And again, you're thinking, but heal the sick. I can't do that. Remember, they had no money. They had no knapsack. They had no sandals. They also can't heal the sick. Jesus shows up and does all of that for them. This radical trust of expecting Jesus to show up and move in their life in the supernatural stuff. So, um, you're all sent ones. Who are you sent to? Well, you might be sent to a bunch of places eventually, but right now, you're sent to your family. You're sent to your friends. You're sent to the people in your life. And so let me ask you this. What do you think? I'm just going to ask you this. You can think about it. We don't have enough time to do groups tonight. But if you could see your family change in one specific way, what would it be? If you could see your family change in one specific way, what would it be? Think about it for a second. There might be multiple things. But if there's one specific thing, what would that be? And then how can you allow God to make that happen? Because you have been sent to that person. You have been sent to your family for a purpose. It's not an accident. He sent you there, and he expects you to obey him and to follow this stuff. And he's promising to show up, and he's promising to use you to make a difference in your family. And I understand that as young people, sometimes we don't think this way. But your job is no longer just to receive from your parents or your family. Your job is now to bless them, to give peace to them, to heal their wounds, and to help them get closer to God. You're old enough for that. You're conscripted, okay? God is calling you to do that in your family. So what would you like to see happen in your family? How can God use you to do that? I'd like you to think about that and pray about that over the next week. Think about it in all your different situations. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's what the body of Christ is for. We bear one another's burdens, it says in the scriptures. And so we can talk to each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And someone else helping you to discern is now the time to have this hard conversation, or whatever the situation is. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So even if we're not going at the moment, we can pray. Because we're supposed to pray and go at the same time. And also, you reap what you sow. So if you're praying for other people in their situation, their difficulty where they're being sent, when you're in that spot, God's going to bless you. Because you reap what you sow. It's a law. Any, any, any final words?
Sunday school, and it was, um, uh, trying to remember, it says, uh, you must trust and obey. If you want to be happy in Jesus, you must trust and obey. That's one of your parents' favorite songs. And, that, and that's the thing. If, at least that's, a huge, at least to me, that's a huge, crucial part of being a Christian. If you want to be happy, if you want to have true joy and true happiness, we have to trust and obey the Lord. Amen, brother. Man, you're preaching good tonight. You are. It's good. It's good. It's good. And and just to reiterate what he's just saying, you know, if there's a horrible, horrible situation in your family, friends, community, whatever it is, the responsibility isn't on you to fix it. Okay? Because you can't fix it, just like you can't heal anybody. But you can rely on God to use you to help the situation. And so what I'm saying, until you have, like, your family stuff down, you have no business going out, I'm not saying your family has to be perfect. I'm saying you have to be showing love to them and actually doing what you're called to do in that situation to those people first because he's called you to them first. And once you've done that in all your different groups, you get promoted. Because obedience gets promoted, and then you get to do more stuff and more stuff. And then you start seeing people getting really healed, and then you start seeing revival happen, and it's freaking sweet. And then whatever job it is you would most like to do on earth, that's the kind of stuff God lets you do. Even though I can't get paid for this, so what? God can do that. If we're faithful in little, we will be given lots, tons. Okay, I'm going to pray for you. And some of us are already sent ones to North Heights, and anybody who isn't can be a good Samaritan to them. So, so that's a good one. We can, we can pray for them. All right, I'm, I, we're, getting, we're getting a little late, so I'm going to pray for you and bless you, and then if you want to stay and discuss, you may, but some of you need to get places. I want to honor that. So please pray with me. Lord, we thank you that you've sent us places. Some of us maybe haven't thought a lot about the fact that you want us to be ministers of your love. Maybe we don't feel adequate to that. Maybe we don't feel deserving of that or able to or ready or experienced or skilled or whatever it is. But we thank you that you've called it to us, called us to it anyway and that you would provide everything we need. You will protect us from the wolves. You will give us our money. You will give us our stuff. You will provide everything that we need to get to where we're going and to be there when we're there. And you will give us the words to say and the way to love them. You'll give us strategies and ideas. How can I bless my brother? I just don't get along with it all. What can I do? What can I do for my brother to bless him, to help him, to love him? Show me, God, what I can do, and I'll do it. And he'll show you, and you do it. And then he shows you something else, and you do that. And he shows you something else, and you do that. Father God, I pray that you would help all of us to open up our hearts and our will to serve you in the places you've already called us, places you've already sent us. 
prove to us, Lord, that your word is true. Prove to us, Lord, that you can use even us, even me, in this situation. We praise you and thank you for that. We trust you, Lord, to provide everything we need. And we ask you to help us with the obedience part. And if sometimes we don't trust, like the man who came and asked for healing for, I believe it was his daughter, and he, Jesus said, do you believe I can do this? And he said, I believe. Uh, help my unbelief. He kind of believed, but he also kind of didn't. And he was humble enough to say, help my unbelief. And guess who got their miracle? The humble man who asked for help. So Lord, help us to trust you where we don't. Help us to have faith where we can't. Help us to be humble in the places where we're currently too proud to even see how we can help somebody else. We thank you that you have filled us with your spirit. We ask you to do so even more. As Jesus appointed and anointed the others to go out, we ask that you would appoint and anoint us. And so I just bless you in Jesus' name, and I anoint you and send you out. Just like in Antioch, when they anointed Paul and Barnabas, and they appointed them and sent them out in this exact same way. I do that now for you. And I send you to the places that God has already sent you. And I bless you with the faith to believe that God can do mighty things through even you for the sake of the people he loves in your life. And I bless you with the ability to be more open to what the Lord might want to do through you. And I bless you with power in the Holy Spirit to be able to demonstrate who God really is to the people in your life when that time comes. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you and smile and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.